time of worship and music. Lord, we take that you would take the ask that you would take the speaker's words today, and Lord, just bless them and just help them apply them to our daily lives. We ask you just to watch over us and continue to bless this church and grow it. And we ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. We're going to be back in the uh, book of Ephesians this morning. So however you prefer to turn there, go ahead and do that. Uh, we're going to continue this series uh, we've called In Christ. It's a, it's a phrase or a similar, similar to a phrase that is found at least 30 times uh, throughout the book of Ephesians. Uh, written by the Apostle Paul, and it tells us both the riches and the responsibility, the doctrine and the duty, the content and the conduct of a follower of Christ. We started looking at, at uh, the reality of what it means to be in Christ last week. And we saw that we are, we at least, we should believe that we are the richest people on the planet and the most joyous people on the planet as well because of who we are in Christ in the spiritual realm. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Heavenly places equal the spiritual realm. And remember, this was to a brand new church that was planted in a very dark, hostile, and pagan culture. Uh, One of the seven wonders of the world, the temple of Artemis or Diana, was right here in Ephesus. So in order to thrive and do their part in moving the gospel forward, they had to focus on the spiritual realm and church, so do we. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. God's word here in Ephesians was written... So that we can know the eternal riches that we have in Christ in the heavenly realm. We saw last week in verse one, uh, verse 5, chapter 1 there. We have been adopted into God's family. The moment that we chose to accept the free gift of life that Jesus offers, God adopts us into his family and we begin to immediately enjoy the benefits of being in that family. Notice the list. We have every spiritual blessing like we just talked about. We stand blameless before God. Uh, remember those, those churchy words, imputed righteousness and propitiation. They speak of similar things. God declares us righteous on behalf of what Jesus has done. And therefore we stand holy and blameless. I think we've got this list for you guys. Um, so, I mean, just think of that for, for just a minute. I know how wicked my heart can be. And yet, God declares, I am righteous in Christ. That is an incredible benefit of being a part of God's family. We are accepted. We have been redeemed. That's a word that means a price has been paid for our lives. That price was the blood of Jesus. The mystery of salvation has been revealed to us. We have obtained an inheritance. and We are sealed 
by the Holy Spirit. We've talked uh, a lot about um, how the Holy Spirit's seal on us, it means that we are secure in Christ. Uh, Once saved, always saved. We can't be good enough to earn our salvation, and neither can we be bad enough to lose our salvation. But let me just say this. The Holy Spirit's seal on our hearts should cause us to live in such a way that there would never be a, a question of if we knew him or not. A, a true follower of Jesus should, should live in such a way that, that honors him in every area so that there would never be a question when, when, when somebody looks at our lives, man, that's, that's how a, a child of God is acting. And Listen, we all know that we are prone to that. Uh, but because we're constantly pursuing holiness, and when we do miss the mark, when we do miss the mark, the Holy Spirit in our heart it convicts us to the point of repentance so that we cannot continue living in sin. If a person is, is living a life of sin completely against God's will, completely against what His Word says, and is okay with that, they desperately need to do a heart check to make sure they ever really surrendered to Jesus in the first place. Verse 13, uh, remember, whoever believes belongs. Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. But we know that belief goes more than just head knowledge to heart knowledge. And because the Holy Spirit's seal changes us, we cannot just continue living in rebellion against God. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. Uh, that's the, another churchy word that we use, sanctification Uh, for becoming more and more like Christ. It is a lifelong process, but a big part of sanctification is confession and pursuing holiness, not unconfession and pursuing unholiness. And Of course, we know we can only do what we're called to do through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us as we live in Christ. That being said, you are able, please stand out of respect for the Word of God as we look at Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Hear the Word of the Lord. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above every all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. So you may have picked up here on these verses that uh, these are a prayer that the Apostle Paul was praying for the Ephesians. Uh, and he's listed all these things we have in Christ that we've, we've already taken a look at. Now he prays that the Ephesians uh, would be able to see them. 
Uh, I mean, we have the same desires for our kids, don't we? Our loved ones. I mean, we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We have been blessed that, to, to find refuge in Him. And with all of our hearts, we want those that we love to do the same thing. And so this outlines a prayer that we can pray for our kids, for our loved ones, for each other. Notice, he's praying for wisdom and understanding. He's praying for them to, number one on your outline, know God. Know God. That's pretty important, isn't it? To know God. And and we know that there are many different ways that we can know God. We'll just list a few here. Sometimes we just have to be still to know God. Psalm 46.10, it just says, Be still and know that I am God. And when was the last time you were just still and and focused on, on who God is? And just rest in the fact that he is God and he is in control and things are going to be all right because he is God. Could it be that we don't know God as well as we should because we're never still? Could it be that there are things about God that we will never know until we are still? It's possible. Another way that we know God is in the midst of oppression. In the midst of oppression. Exodus 6, God says to his enslaved people, I will take you as my people and I will be your God and then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. It is often in the dark and in the hard times that God shows up like never before to teach us more about himself. Are you seeking to know him better in the midst of the trial Or do you just more question his motives and want to try to fix it? Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this? Other times we get to know God through his discipline. Through his discipline. We've probably, most of us have probably experienced that in our lives. Pharaoh did. Look what Moses said to him after the second plague of frogs had come back in in Exodus. Pharaoh begged Moses to call on God and have him take the frogs away. Look what Moses said. Let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. I don't think we'll ever fully know God. That's, uh, That's just part of what makes God God. But he does use things like stillness and oppression and discipline and and enslavement to teach us things about him. Are you enslaved to something this morning? God wants to take it and overcome it and use it to teach you more about himself. Get him to know, get you to know him better. It's been said like this, since we're made in his image, the better we get to know him, better we get to know ourselves. And isn't that true? Because the better we know how big and sovereign and holy and righteous and loving and gracious and merciful and slow to anger he is, the better perspective we get on ourselves and who we are in light of who he is. What's God trying to show you about him? What's he trying to teach you about him through whatever you're going through right now? And maybe it's not even something difficult. Maybe it's, it's blessings. That's okay. 
Maybe he's trying to get you to know him as creator or sustainer, wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace, almighty God, a friend that sticks closer than, the, than a brother. Many of us know him as savior. But there are so many different aspects of our God that we can get to know. Paul lists a few more things here in Ephesians for us to know. Verse 16 again. I do not cease to give thanks to you, thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, in other words, that you'd have good spiritual sight, and that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Number two on your outline, we can know hope. We can know hope. You know, there are a lot of things in our world that do not offer hope. There are a lot of callings in this world that do not offer hope. But hope in the spiritual realm is different than hope in the physical realm. As kids, we would hope for something for Christmas or for our birthdays. As an adult, I hope that the Cardinals win the World Series. I hope that my taxes are less next year than they were this year. But don't we know that a lot of times when we hope here in this world... It's a lot like wishful thinking, but not so with our God. Not so in the the spiritual. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. Biblical hope is sure. Biblical hope brings confident expectation because biblical hope is rooted in the God of hope. The same word for hope here in Ephesians is used in Romans 15, 13. To describe God. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, do you know God as the God of hope? You just live in hopelessness and despair all the time. We've already stated as Christians we're the richest we, we are the, the most joyous people on the planet, all because of who we are in Christ. And we can add to that the most hope-filled. Even when daily we are reminded of the brokenness of this world. I mean, all we have to do is wake up in the morning and know, okay, this place is not right. But there is something in us, rooted in the God of hope, that knows and believes this world is not our home. And one day we will experience the riches and the blessings of being in Christ for all eternity. Hope we have in Christ, it, it causes us to do some things. It encourages some things in us. First, it, it encourages us to seek purity. Look at 1 John 3, 3 and following. Behold what manner of love the Father has, called, has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. I hope we have in Christ. It encourages us to live pure, holy lives. It also encourages us to endure. Look at Romans 5, 1-5. through 5. 
Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice rejoice in, in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Child of God, don't allow Satan to render your heart hopeless. Seek to know the hope of God's calling. Strive for purity. Continue to endure. We can know several things in Christ. Number three on your outline. We can know our value to God. Our value to God. Again, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints already talked about inheritance, that word inheritance. We saw it back in in verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. And and I think I've probably always uh, read verse 18, the word inheritance there, kind of the same way, referring to our inheritance as his children. Uh, Depending on what translation you're reading, yours may say his inheritance among the saints. And that does give it kind of the same meaning as verse 11. But if you look at it in the New King James and many other versions, it tells us that he receives an inheritance in us. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? How does the creator and owner of literally everything inherit anything? Well, I think it's written this way so that we will see how much God values his people. I've shared with, with you before the story of, of when my grandpa, he, uh, he gave me his guitar before he passed away. And it's the guitar that he bought brand new way back when, and I grew up watching him play it. And so I was very pleased to, to make his guitar mine. It's priceless. That's, that's a little bit of a glimpse of how God feels about each one of us. You are priceless. Whatever we inherit, man, it, 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 has, it has value. God is pleased to make you His. Psalm 149.4, the Lord takes pleasure in His people. Do you ever see God as, as that, or do you just see Him as a... As a, an old, gray-haired, old codger sitting up, up in heaven just waiting for you to do something wrong. God takes pleasure in his people. And we know uh, that this is not about us. God is still the main character. But he, he makes it very clear the value that he puts on you and me. Now, studies have, have found that employees who feel valued at work are often happier. They're more productive. And they're less likely to look for opportunities elsewhere. Shouldn't it be the same for God's people? The value he puts on us, it should make us happier. We are the happiest 
the way he values us, it should make us more productive and less likely to wander. Your value to God is priceless. It was the blood of his son, the very life of his son. Lord, help us to see the value we have, the hope we have in Christ. That leads to number four, the power of God we have in our lives. We can know the power of God. I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Verse 18 says this, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The same power that rolled the stone away is the same power alive in us today. Passages like this always um, they, they, they make me want to just, just look up incredible feats of power. Did you know that a Boeing 747 weighs over 404,000 pounds? And if it's loaded, it can weigh over twice that. It takes a lot of power to get that off the ground, much less to keep it in the air. We went out west last summer. We stayed in Page, Arizona. That's the home of, of Lake Powell and the Glen Canyon Dam. It's not the tallest one in the nation, but it's close. It stands 710 feet tall. And it is said that there is 45,000 pounds of pressure per square foot on the lakeside of a structure like this. That takes incredible power to hold up. What's the most incredible display of power that you have ever seen or, or read about? Whatever it is, the power that we have in Christ tops it all. Because it's the same power that raised him from the dead. Notice how this power is described. Exceeding greatness and mighty there in verse 19. The word exceeding will be used three times in Ephesians. And it's used to describe something transcendent. Basically, uh, you come up with the strongest and most powerful thing you can think of in the entire universe. God goes beyond that. Our God always goes beyond. Beyond the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul wanted the Ephesians to know that God is powerful and his power is at work within the lives of his people. God's power is stronger than death. God's power is stronger than grief. God's power is stronger than any enemy that comes up against him. God's power is strong enough to bring life out of death, to overcome whatever you are battling. Oh, that we would know him and the power of his resurrection. What area do you need God's power this morning? In your marriage, in your heart, in your relationships, in your family, in your attitude, in your struggles? Do you believe that God wants to show his power in your situation? Because if you don't, you may need to start with the same prayer 
that the doubting father said in Mark 9, 24, Lord, help me with my unbelief. Lord, renew our hearts to the hope we have in Christ. Help us to see how much value you have placed in us. Help us, help us believe and tap into the power that we have in Christ. That leads to number five, the preeminence of Christ. We can know the preeminence of Christ. We already know that he's seated at the right hand of God. That is the highest place of honor. Verse 21 says that he is far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. And he, God the Father, put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus is preeminent. He's first. He's far above. He goes beyond every principality and power and might and dominion and name. That means that Jesus is far above every royalty that has ever been, every strength that has ever been, that will ever be, every domain. He is above. Jesus is stronger than every stronghold. He's he's far above every addiction. He's far above every hurt and pain and sickness and darkness. He is far above every circumstance and every loss. And when we know Jesus personally, then we can face whatever comes our way because we know that Jesus can handle it. And we know he may not handle it the way we want him to, but we also know that his ways are better, and we can be sure that he is working out all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And when we, as a group of believers, connect our hearts to this truth, that's when we become the hands and feet of Jesus, the body of Christ, so that we cannot help but tell others about Jesus because it is all about him. I've got three names to, uh, for you to look at here on the screens. Are you familiar with, with any of them? Omnicom, BBDO, and J. Walter Thompson. Have anybody ever heard of any of those? Nobody. So these are, are three of the most successful advertising agencies in American history. And while you may not know them... Uh, you know their work. Omnicom represents companies like Adidas, McDonald's, Pepsi, and Volkswagen. The phrase, mm-mm, good, belongs to who? Go ahead and say it. Campbell Soup, remember? Yeah, Campbell Soup. Well, BBDO came up with that in 1935. Okay, I got another one for you. Snap, Crackle, Pop goes to, belongs to who? Rice Krispies, yeah. Well, J. Walter Thompson came up with that in 1964. So these companies, they realized that their job was not making a name for themselves, but for others. Their success came in bringing attention not to themselves, but to others. And so is the church. We are called to be the body of Christ to make a name for Him. When we personally know our God, 
when our spiritual eyes are opened and, and we see the hope that we have in Him. When we see how much the great God of the universe values each one of us. When we realize the power we have in Christ and His preeminence, we should desire to be Christ-like in everything we do and to make a name for Him, not for ourselves. So my prayer for you today is this. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ Father of glory, I give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above every principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. Bow your heads. We go into... uh, this time of invitation, song plays. And which one of these things do you need to know the most? Which one is, is God just speaking to your heart saying, listen, you've gotten away from this one. You're having doubts about this one. Maybe you just need to know God. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you don't remember a time when you ever surrendered your life to Him, and accepted the free gift of life that Jesus offers to make you right with God, to cover you in His blood, so that when God looks down on you, He doesn't see your filthy, wretched, sinful heart, but He sees the righteousness of His Son. Maybe today is the day of salvation that you just, you just finally surrender to Him. Maybe you need to know the preeminence of Christ. Maybe He has um, taken a back seat to some things in your life. Maybe you just need to know that God loves you. He's head over heels in love with you on your worst day. He places great value on him, on you. He would still give his son for your life. Maybe you just need to tap into the power of Jesus. We know that uh, many walk in here with different kinds of burdens. And uh, during this time of invitation, the altar is open if you need to come and pray. That. Let's just uh, allow God to work in our hearts. Lord, we invite you to come. Thank you for the truth of your word. Help us with our unbelief. In the name of Jesus, we pray.